Now the reading for the sermon comes from Matthew chapter 6, commencing at verse 19. But it may be worthwhile putting it into context, which I'm sure Gary will do. In uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And this is one of the aspects of what he taught. Verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God. Morning again, everyone. It's nice to see you all here. Feels kind of intimate, doesn't it? Let me pray and let's have a look at what God has to say through his word. Please join me in prayer. Father, thanks for keeping us safe. Thanks for bringing us together and giving us a dry space to meet. We pray we might be able to put aside distraction about the rain for a moment, uh, to concentrate on what you have to say to us in your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Man, now uh, you heard some of my story before, but let me give you, let me zoom out and tell you a little bit more about my story. And can I just begin by saying that I was never supposed to grow up in Australia. That was never the plan. Uh, And the reason was that was because my grandfather and his four brothers had a different plan. And part of that plan was leaving their village in China to make their fortune in Malaysia. And they did. They were very, very successful. My grandfather sold Chinese medicine and they made a whole bunch of money and they sent it back to China 
and here is the result. Can I have the first slide, please? There it is. Doesn't look very flash, right? That is a 110-bedroom house in China. Um, all lavish with artwork, woodwork, frescoes. It was extraordinary, extraordinary. So that begs the question, what happened? Why am I here? Uh, well, the house was finished in 1947. Uh, any historians here who want to adventure what happened in 1949? No, no, that was after. What, Basil? That's right. Long March, the communists took over in 1949, and can I just say that was the end of that. So, next slide, please. Uh, the uh, house was taken by the Chinese government and turned into a Red Guard headquarters. There's Chairman Mao beaming uh, over our house. And during the Cultural Revolution, they, they despised all artwork, so they whitewashed the whole place and ruined all the artwork. And basically, entire generation's fortune went down the drain. And that's why my dad came to Australia, uh, to start all over. And that's my story. Now, I only share that with you because, let me ask, have you ever been in a situation where you've wondered what your life might have been like? What your life might have been like if you'd bought that house earlier, if you'd invested in Bitcoin, uh, if you got that inheritance, if you found out you were descended from royalty. Uh, have you ever pondered the musings of the Swedish philosopher's Abba? <laughs> Let me quote. Aha. Ah, ah, ah. All the things I could do if I had a little bit of money. It's a rich man's world. It's very deep. Money, wealth, material goods, that's what we're looking at in the Bible today. What it offers, why we chase it, and how a relationship with Jesus changes the whole way that we look at it. And, and we're doing that from uh, our Bible reading, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, is where it starts. Uh, this is part of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. And in this part of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, Jesus points us to where real treasure can be found. And he begins with this command, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And why does he say that? It was actually all part of his bigger message that was alluded to in the Bible reading. This is part of what's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And in this sermon, what Jesus does is shatter people's expectations. He turns upside down what people are expecting uh, when it came to life in God's kingdom. And he's doing that right now here when it comes to people's expectations about money. And he needs to do this for two particular reasons. Firstly, the religious leaders of the day were told they loved money. It was really important to them. And secondly, there is also a line of thinking that associated uh, being very wealthy by being blessed by God. And what Jesus does here in our passage says, well, actually, you need to think differently. That is actually something far more important and valuable than just money and stuff. And he says this because our treasures on earth, the things we can hold, our money, our possessions, things like that, they're not going to last. They'll all pass away. It's a bit like that favourite jumper that you put in the cupboard. You bring out for that party and then you see it's full of holes. The moths have got to it. It's a bit like a stockpile of grain or for those of us who are Asian, a you know, bag of rice uh, that gets eaten by rats or vermin. Uh, it's like those things that we save up for and are valuable. I remember saving up for a stereo 
uh, in my car, one of those fancy ones where you can pull out and all that type of stuff. And I didn't pull it out one day and I got back to my car and someone had jimmied the lock and taken my stereo. Very sad. Or even a 110-bedroom house that the whole family had saved up from that has been taken by a communist. You see, the, thing, the things, it's the stuff, the things that you can touch, taste and smell and see, they'll all turn to dust. You can't take it with you because it doesn't last anyway. And that's why Jesus says, do not store up treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. It's not worth investing in because the return's always going to be zero. But while that's easy to say, we understand what Jesus is saying, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Because it goes against everything we've been taught. Because why do people store up treasures on earth? I can think of at least four reasons. You might be able to think of some more. Uh, Firstly, money, stuff provides us freedom. It helps us do the things that we want. Secondly, having money or stuff can also be enjoyable. There's a difference between driving a Ferrari and a Corolla. I have a Corolla. Thirdly, having lots of stuff can make you feel good about yourself. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at how successful I am. And fourthly, And this is particularly from a migrant's viewpoint. Having money and stuff can mean security. My house, my savings, my superannuation, these are the things that will keep me safe. Now, is that the way you view money? Uh, The way you view your possessions? Can I confess? It's true for me. And it's hard to shake, isn't it? Because we're hardwired to think this way. But what Jesus does here is... Lift our eyes. He lifts our eyes away from the stuff in front of us to look up and see where real treasure can be found. Because while our treasure on earth will all pass away, I think we can all agree on that, there's a treasure that lasts that's really worth investing in. And he moves on to talk about treasure in heaven. And what does Jesus mean by that? He's talking about the things of God's kingdom that lasts for eternity, are the things that flow out of having Jesus as your king and having a heart for the things that God has a heart for. They're the things that last for eternity. And he's calling on those who are listening to him to invest in those treasures rather than the treasures found on earth. And how? How do you invest in those things? It's like giving God the praise and glory that he deserves. It's like growing deeper in obedience and knowledge of God's word. Using the gifts that God's given us to serve uh, the people around us with gladness. Uh, Sharing the good news of Jesus so others will be blessed. Engaging in charity and kindness and grace as we're joined up and connected as members of uh, his body. Encouraging one another all the way to the end. To be investing in this treasure rather than the treasures on earth. In other words... Uh, To invest in treasures in heaven is all about listening to Jesus and going all in on his countercultural, upside-down vision of Christian discipleship. And that's what it means to store up treasures in heaven. It's all about following Jesus as our king. But here is the thing. You can't actually do that until you see clearly until you can see the difference between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And that's what he goes on to talk about if you have a look at verse 22, when he says that the eye is the lamp of the body, which is 
a funny thing to say because how does a lamp work? A lamp shines out light, right? How do eyes work? Eyes receive light. So how can the eye be the lamp of the body? The only thing I can think of is, oh, you guys are too young for this, but it's a bit like the Astro Boy cartoons where it shines out light. But um, it's just an illustration, okay? It's not an optometry textbook. And what Jesus is saying is that the eyes being the lamp of the body, they show us the right way to go. That's what it's saying, right? It shows us the right way to go. Uh, and, you know, it makes sense, doesn't it, because the eyes actually perceive light. And light comes into our body to illuminate us and show us what is. So uh, what he goes on to say is, well, if your eyes are good, then you can see where you're going because your body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, then you won't see clearly and you'll be stuck in the dark because no light's coming in. All right, it's a bit like wearing sunglasses at night, right? Uh, You kind of look cool, but it's kind of foolish, right? What's the point of that? Um, But what's even worse than wearing sunglasses at night and trying to be cool is not even realise you're not seeing clearly in the first place, and which is what Jesus is alluding to when you get to the end of verse 23. And it's a bit like what happened uh, when I discovered that I needed glasses. So, um, by the way, I'm not wearing glasses because I've got an iPad. I can make the font really big, just so you know. Um, many years ago, I was at a birthday party, one of the kids' birthday parties, and I had a brand-new camera. It was all great fun. I was trying my camera. I was taking all these photos. It was all great. And I looked in the back of the camera, and they were all out of focus. It was very, very disappointing. So I thought, oh, it must be me. So I checked the settings. I checked whether the autofocus was on. I even wiped the lens. I thought, what's going on? And all of a sudden, I thought, what happens if I do this? and pull the camera a bit further away from myself, and all of a sudden, the photos snapped into focus. And what I realised was the problem wasn't my camera, the problem was me. I needed glasses. And you see, it's good to know, isn't it, uh, when your eyesight isn't clear, and the example I gave is pretty trivial and easily fixed, go and get glasses. But But there are times when you really, really want to know that you're not seeing clearly like driving your car, like flying a plane, like operating on a patient. You really want to know, don't you? Because in these particular cases, not seeing clearly can be the difference between life and death. And that's what Jesus is pointing to in verse 24. He's saying you need to see clearly because you have an important decision to make. No one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You need to see clearly because you have an important choice to make. And can I just say, Jesus at this point, he's not saying, turn your back on money. Have nothing to do with it. Don't work, don't save, money is dirty. He's not saying that at all. The Bible is actually full of teaching about money in a positive fashion. Uh, for example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, The Apostle Paul says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Work is good. And in the Old Testament, we see the way God blesses people like Job and Solomon with tremendous wealth. God doesn't have a problem with money either. There's nothing wrong with work and there's nothing wrong with money. Rather, what is the issue? It's our attitude towards money and wealth. That's what God and the Bible have a problem with. Uh, You can see that in that classic passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where rather than money in itself being the root of all evil, if you have to look at the passage carefully, it says it's the love of money 
which is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money that places itself before a love for God. And, and that's where the problem lies. That's the dilemma. What the Bible is saying is that you can't put anything, even money, before God and his kingdom. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. The greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. No one can serve two masters. We all have to choose. So let me ask you, what have you chosen? What role does money and stuff and possessions play in your life? How does it shape the way you use your time and the things that you think about? In other words, where does it rank on your list of priorities? Where does it rank on the list of the things that are important to you? Because while there's nothing wrong with money or material things, our priorities are important and sometimes we can get our priorities wrong. Uh, it reminds me of another story I heard a number of years ago. So uh, I don't know if you remember, a, a, a bus caught fire on the Harbour Bridge. Anybody remember that? A number of years ago, bus caught fire on the Harbour Bridge. It was front page news. And the thing that really caught my attention was one of the passengers. So they'd all escaped from this burning bus, but then one of the passengers decided to go back onto it. And he didn't go back on the bus to rescue another passenger. He didn't go back on the bus because he'd forgotten, he'd left something behind. He didn't go back on the bus to rescue a cute kitten, would have been a good story. But the onboard camera saw this man going back onto the burning bus to do nothing else but to tap off his Opal card. Right? It's true. There's footage. I've seen it. And it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Why would you do that? Why would you go back on a burning bus to tap off your Opal card? I'm cheap. I love a bargain. I'm always asking for less for cash, but this guy, he's next level, right? I mean, who would be so crazy as to risk their life over something like money? But isn't that what we do when we place money before God? It is, isn't it? Because, you know, think about what God offers us. God offers us life. He offers us eternal life. He offers us new life. He offers us forgiveness and the promise of heaven and life with him forever. Our sins washed away through the death of Jesus. He offers us a treasure that no amount of money can ever buy. So why would anyone put money before God? Especially when money and treasures on earth will all pass away. It doesn't make sense. It's like tapping off your opal card on a burning bus. Each and every one of us have a decision to make. And from my perspective, I think it seems pretty straightforward. So, why is it so hard for so many people? Well, Jesus being Jesus, he knows our hearts and he addresses our concerns. If you have a look at verse 25. What's going to stop us from serving God before money? It's insecurity and worry. The insecurity and worry that shifts our trusting in ourselves to trust in God alone. Because that's what we're doing when we choose God over money. Because putting money first is ultimately all about me. It's about my freedom, my enjoyment, my status, my security, and most importantly, my 
ability and agency when it comes to controlling my life. Right? Whereas when you put God first and serve him alone, what we're actually doing is handing him control. And frankly, we don't like it. It makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel anxious. It makes us worry. It makes us worry. And that's why it's so hard to choose God over money, because we find it much easier to trust ourselves. But what does Jesus say? Verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Why? Well, it's logical, isn't it? If God's giving you your life and he's giving you your body, don't you think he'll be responsible for the rest as well? That's what Jesus is saying. And he moves on to give two examples of this in everyday life. He says, look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. The birds, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet God still feeds them and you're more valuable than birds. And the flowers of the field, they don't labour or spin. But the clothes God gives them are even more splendid than Solomon's and he was the richest king in the world. So as a result, verse 31, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or drink or what shall we wear? The pagans, those who don't know God, they run after all those things and they need to because they trust only in themselves. But you need to be different as a citizen of God's kingdom and remember that your heavenly Father knows what you need. Jesus says, don't worry, trust God alone. He will provide you with all that you need. And while what Jesus says here is encouraging and straightforward, what's the first thing many people think of when they hear something like this? They think about the exceptions and how this can't work. I mean, is that really true, Gary? Really? How about those who are just lost their jobs? How about those struggling with debt? How about victims of abuse? How about refugees? How about asylum seekers? How about, how about, how about, how about, right? Uh, our mind immediately turns to how this cannot work because there seems to be lots of people with plenty to worry about when it comes to food and clothing. And, can I just say, that's definitely the case. That's definitely the case, but it doesn't mean Jesus is wrong at this point. Because even in those times when God's people are really, really struggling, trusting God before money is still the right thing to do. Because ultimately, no matter what, it's only God who provides. And he can provide through money and he can provide through stuff. But more importantly, there are times when God provides through his people as well. And as a result, I wonder if we could be better off thinking more about how we can be God's provision to the people around us rather than thinking about how this verse doesn't work for some people. I think what Jesus is saying here should drive us to think about how we can use our treasure in order to bless others through partnering with groups like Compassion and Anglicare or partnering with our church uh, to provide for those around us or doing this ourselves by providing practical help for our neighbours, sharing what we have to help those around us. I wonder if it would be more helpful for us to be thinking about that. And actually, I think that's what Jesus is talking about when we get to verse 33. What does it mean to serve God rather than serving money? To not worry about your life, what you will eat, drink or wear. Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Once again, it all comes down to priorities and perspective. Will we put God first, his kingdom and his king, and the things that flow out of that real treasure that lasts, the real treasure that is found in living for Jesus and putting living for Jesus before anything else? Because, because what's the alternative? The alternative is putting the things of this earth that will all pass away that are not of his kingdom before anything else. So, you know, given those two things, and we all have to make a choice, I think the choice is simple. And we need to choose. Because what Jesus says doesn't allow us to sit on the fence. I think Jesus has made a pretty good case for choosing to serve God. And, can I just say, that's why I'm actually thankful that I grew up in Australia. Even though, I must admit, there have been times when I've wondered what it'd be like to live in a 110-bedroom house with servants, a bit like a Chinese Downton Abbey. Um, even though I think about what might have been, I'm truly thankful because I'm actually far better off. Because the best thing that happened to me growing up in Australia wasn't the weather, I'm not sure about today, uh, or the education or the lifestyle or even being introduced to cricket. Uh, but the freedom people had to come up to me at university, like I mentioned before, and ask me if I wanted to find out more about Jesus. And then to have access to the Bible, to meet the real Jesus, and have my life turned upside down and enter a relationship with him, knowing God's forgiveness, knowing true hope, the promise of heaven, and the fellowship of God's people. There is nothing better than that. That's real treasure, treasure that lasts forever. God's gift to us in Jesus that no amount of money in the world can ever buy. And that's what makes choosing to serve God rather than money the only real choice. And we have to choose because Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Let me pray. Dear God, we do thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what he teaches us and we thank you for what he offers us through his death and resurrection. And we pray, Father, that uh, even though we've been hardwired to trust in ourselves and our possessions, that you would do such a work in us, that we would, you would open our eyes so we can see clearly and choose to put you first in everything in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.